Hey, hey. Bidding farewell to a Thursday and saying hello to a Friday, a football Friday, kind of. The NBA didn't really want it to be a football Friday. Definitely a glitzy, glammy night uh, with the NFL honors taking place. Uh, Really cool to have these various seasons like accomplishments, but also career seasons. Uh, and and they're definitely team achievements, but somebody has got to be the, the card-carrying member, right? Somebody's got to be the banner waiver. Uh, and so while it's never just one guy, quarterback, defensive end, receiver, anything like that, uh, it's still fun to see these guys honored for what they do in these moments in time. And also uh, we get the announcement of the Hall of Fame class. And so 2023 is decidedly defensive, but not all five new members. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. So a bunch of stuff that we're working on these next three hours. A conversation with a 2004 Hall of Famer, Carl Eller. Spoke to him on Radio Row on Thursday afternoon First time I've ever spoken to a member of the Purple People Eaters. Uh, and, and he was part of the Gridiron Greats initiative to raise awareness for the needs of former players that go back to the 60s and the 70s, even before the NFL merger. Uh, So you don't want to miss that conversation. And always the opportunity to highlight what Southern Recipe Small Batch Pork Rinds is doing to raise awareness and raise money for the Gridiron Greats Fund that was started by Mike Ditka. We're asking you about your Super Bowl Super Snacks on Twitter, After Hours CBS, on our Facebook page too, your favorite Super Bowl party snacks, you party people. And then fairly soon, a brand new video for you to peruse our Super Six Episode 5, which is fantastic finishes in Super Bowl history. Man, there are so many. It was hard to narrow it down. So we'd love to hear from you as we cruise toward the weekend. The only non-defensive player to be inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2023, the longtime offensive lineman Joe Thomas of the Cleveland Browns. Hey, what's up, Brown fans? Joe Thomas here, and I just got inducted into the 2023 Hall of Fame class for the NFL, and I just wanted to say a big thank you. Could not have done it without you guys. 11 beautiful years in Cleveland. Not always full of a lot of wins, but always a lot of pride in the city, in the team, and you guys were a huge part of that journey. Absolutely could not have done it without you. Thank you. Congratulations to him and the others who were part of the 2023 Pro Football Hall of Fame. Right after the announcement was made, the news was breaking, I had a chance to talk to former Brown center, five years in Cleveland. He's retired one season now, but is still serving as the president of the NFL Players Association, J.C. Treader. Literally minutes after we find out Joe Thomas is headed to the Hall of Fame. He's your former teammate, J.C., a first ballot Hall of Famer. What's your reaction to the news? excitement for him it well deserved uh, I, there shouldn't have been a question i don't think there was a question that that was going to be the result the definition of of durability a phenomenal teammate somebody i still consider a friend um just very happy for him and his family yeah the number of consecutive snaps is astronomical especially at his position were you ever blown away by the fact that he just never took a snap off never missed one the thing that doesn't 
always get carried on in that story is it's not like he was healthy all the time, right? He played through injury and he played at a Hall of Fame level no matter what he was out there with. And that sometimes gets lost when people think, oh, oh, he was healthy for 10,000 plus snaps. It wasn't always healthy, but when he was on the field, he played at a Hall of Fame level. 10,363. I don't know that I've ever done anything uh, that many times in a row. So that's pretty amazing. Now, this was your first year out of football. What do you miss the most about being on the offensive line yourself? Uh, the locker room, uh, the, the, the friendships and bonds you make and um, just those times. And I think everybody somewhat has those moments, whether it was you know on the bus home from games when you're in high school or uh, the locker rooms, those fun moments where nothing's really going on, but you're getting each other to laugh and have a good time. Uh, those are always tough to replicate, but um, it's been great to spend more time with the family. Uh, body feels great, so there are some <laughs> positives too, but uh, we'll always miss the guys in that brotherhood. You played in two places where the fan bases are fairly notorious uh, for different reasons, of course, but Green Bay and Cleveland. And the last five years of your career were with the Browns. What was the best thing about being a member of that organization, JC? It was a really great place for my family. I know that sounds like a cop-out answer, but when I kind of look back at my career, you know, I moved to Cleveland uh, with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and I've got two kids. And Cleveland sat right between our two families. Her her family was in Detroit. My family was in Buffalo, New York. And I think we kind of grew up together there. Um, and, you know, as I kind of, in the last year, have thought about my career, my journey through Green Bay and through Cleveland, I think of just how thankful I am to, to have those moments uh, with a ton of family present all the time. And kind of when I wrote my retirement uh, letter, I, I thought about, you know, my parents made it to every one of my college games um, and they did their best to get to all the Green Bay games. And then once I got to Cleveland, the, the ability to get to those games was so much easier. But, um, you know, you, you have people who've always been in your corner through your entire career and through your entire life. And um, I think that's what I'll remember most is how special it was to see them almost every every week in Cleveland. You went through some of the lowest of the lows with the franchise and also getting to the playoffs in 2020 was pretty amazing to finally see the Browns break through again. What was it like to be part of that organization? It seemed like you could pack so much life into a Cleveland Browns season. I think I always say um, I, I went there in 2017 when they went in one, one and 15 the year before. And I thought, well, only going up from here. Right. And then we went <laughs> 0 and 16. Um, so, uh, I'm not sure if that was, you know, poor signings like myself or, or what was going on, but no, it was, uh, definitely a, a, a wild ride, uh, some, some hard years, but that year in 2020 was really special and a very unique year with everything going on with COVID and, and it was different, but, um, a special group of guys that, um, kind of caught lightning in a bottle and, mm. and, and had a, a great little run. J.C. Treader with us here on the show for the first time. Really excited to have him. Recently retired NFL center, but still serving as the president of the NFL Players Association. Uh, I know that you were voted and you've got your two-year term. How do you stay connected and stay involved now that you're out of the locker room? I think the guys know that I'll, I'll bug them either way. I'll, I'll, I'll be in touch with them, whether I'm seeing them in person or not. So <laughs> I live in, in McLean, Virginia now. Our PA offices are in downtown D.C., uh, so I can be closer to the staff now and, and work on some projects that I've been working on. But when I look back at my career and when I'm done with, with my presidency in March of 2024, I think taking on this role will be you know, the, 
greatest thing I did in my career. Uh, it'll be something that I look back on um, for a long time and, and just absolutely love. And um, it's a it's a ton of work, but it's for the right reasons, and and I absolutely love doing it. How much does it matter that you're voted in by your peers? That's the whole point, right? Like you you want you want to feel and, and know that the locker rooms in each team support you and believe in you um, because your job is to push the ball as far downfield as you possibly can. And a lot of the things we don't have another CBA coming up till 2030, 2031, whether it's 2029 with their negotiating early. And I think it's easy for somebody to be like, well, you know, none of this stuff matters right now. It's we're not negotiating times. It just is what it is. But really what a union's based on is, each generation of, of players or people or leaders pushing the ball as far downfield as you can. And you know that you'll never see the benefits of the work you do now, but the generations beyond you will. Uh, and, you know, I've kind of taken pride in that. When I took this job, I didn't know whether the CBA was going to pass or fail in 2020. And I told the guys when I ran that if it passed, uh, I would you know, be leading us forward in a time of labor peace and making changes and, and making this place better. And if it failed, I would go back to the bargaining table. Uh, and when it passed, my focus was how can I make this, this place better for the next president? And that way I've accomplished everything I can to take it off his plate when it's his turn. And he should do the same for the next person all the way throughout. You use the word peace as in labor peace. How would you describe the relationship between the NFLPA and the league at this point early in the new CBA? I would say it's somewhat like the old tale of cats and dogs. Like there's labor and management will always be at odds somewhat. And Mm -hmm. there are times where um, things look like they're being worked together well on the surface. And I think you look at COVID. And you say, like, man, you guys really work together well. Now, the public doesn't see, you know, the three-hour-long screaming matches we had behind the scenes. But, you know, we accomplished what we were trying to do, which was playing a full season, keeping as many people healthy as possible. So labor and management will always have different priorities. And sometimes they work together better. Sometimes they work together a little worse. Um, but that will will never change. I don't think you could have a union and management always on the same page. I just don't think that's in the DNA of either organization. J.C. Treader is still serving as the NFLPA president, just out of the league after eight seasons as a center and offensive lineman in the NFL. I hear all the time that offensive linemen are the best talkers on the team. Do you agree with that? <laughs> uh, depends what you mean by talker. I, I, I think the offensive linemen – are usually, I would say, the funniest, um, and also don't take don't take much serious at all, which uh, is always something I've enjoyed about the groups I've had and uh, the different offensive line rooms. Usually, if if you're in there and you're listening, it's you're you're going to get a good laugh, and nobody takes anything personally. I'm glad to hear it. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, what are the top priorities right now that the NFLPA and that you as president are navigating? I think health and safety is always top priority. We've got a ton of conversations going around about natural grass versus our artificial turf fields. Uh, we've got conversations going on about the concussion protocols. This year was that topic was a, a high priority or a, a very uh, publicized uh, discussion point. And then the other the other issues being this far out from a CBA, I think, is a time to launch new initiatives and do new things and come up with new ideas that can kind of grow over the course of the next decade. I think we've done a couple of those already have been released, a few more are coming behind it. And that was really what I was excited about when I took this job in 2020, 
was I had a ton of new ideas and new things I wanted to try as the leader of the union. And then three days after I was elected, COVID outbreak happened and we put all those aside because we have to deal with a once in a century pandemic. But now that the COVID protocols and the COVID negotiations are in the review mirror, it's been really enjoyable uh, to dive back into some of those ideas that I was really passionate about trying uh, two years ago and now get them off the ground this year. The concussion protocols were certainly in the spotlight around what happened with Tua Tagovailoa, the Bills and the Bengals, those two games. When you see that, when you think about where the league is now, we know concussions were up this year, though the NFL is saying that's because the protocols are working. What's your perspective on it, JC, as a former player? Yeah, I think our focus with the protocols is, one, we want our players treated as patients first. Um, We don't want them looked at as players. We want them looked at as patients. And then, you know, the focus is really on conservative care. And that's what we saw uh, with the original issue where, you know, Tua went back in the game. And I think everybody saw that and realized, like, that is definitely not the conservative approach. And we had a concussion protocol in which gross motor uh, instability uh, was allowed to somewhat be overruled by a non-neurological caused injury. And after seeing how that transpired, we realized that is not conservative care. And that's why we've changed the protocols to now be ataxia, which is now a a clear no-go symptom. If you show it, you are out. There's no kind of loophole to go back in the game with it because you you deem it a separate injury. Mm. And, um, you know, concussion protocols will continue to change and continue to evolve. They very rarely evolve and change as publicly as this one did. But we are always looking at ways to prioritize keeping our players safe And sometimes that's keeping them safe from themselves, too. Uh, And that's what we've seen over the course of the years and what you discussed with the NFL's comments. That is somewhat true. We have completely shifted um, the mentality, I think. If you look back 10, 15 years ago, how players saw concussions and pulling themselves out from concussions, that wasn't very normal. And now I think players are better understanding the risks and the dangers of playing with concussions and also realizing the symptoms and signs of them and then pulling themselves out of the game and reporting those symptoms uh, to make sure they're protecting themselves as well. Right. We have seen a few players do that or we hear more about it. Uh, It's becoming more common. Would you say it's a positive or a negative when this type of an issue or really any type of uh, an issue that faces uh, players, the league, that it becomes public? I think those conversations happen either way. Like we are always monitoring them and whether it becomes a big, you know, PR issue that doesn't really change our job as a union. Our job is to protect the players uh, and make sure they are safe. And, and these um, get louder when, when that happens. And that was the issue with the Tua injury was everybody saw it, right? Like they, they saw him get up. Um, and wobble there there wasn't much to interpret it was very visual and scary too uh and a bunch of people asked questions but whether no one noticed that game or what happened the work that got done was going to get done either way because that's our job as a union and that's our job as our medical team is to be evaluating those things and making sure we we close any issues and evolve the protocols so i don't think it matters that much i think anytime it does become a big p you know public issue helps the conversation be more um, visible to everybody, too, and a better time to educate people of what the issues are. 
J.C. Treader is with us here after hours on CBS Sports Radio. A completely different situation, not a concussion. Uh, but in the wake of the DeMar Hamlin injury that also played out on national TV, the incredible care he received right away there in Cincinnati. Uh, as a former player yourself, what's your reaction to how his care was handled? Those first responders um, deserve a ton of credit. I mean, saved saved his life. Cincinnati and I think Pittsburgh are two of the best resuscitation hospital networks in the in the country and a lot of that work is what we've done as a union is focusing on getting the right people on the field and getting the right systems in place on the field and those uh, first responders run through like an hour-long checklist before every single game wow laying each issue of if this happens what are you doing what are you doing who's on what and those are things the unions pushed for for years when you know the issue happened with with Demar, he had three of the best resuscitation doctors in the country within 50 yards of him. That happens from you know the union pushing for the best systems in place to always be protecting the players. But a, a ton of great care for him. I, it was so great to see him at our NFLPA press conference when he went to meet the MVP. Rightfully so, um, and I just think everybody's so happy to see him back. Walking around, I saw him. I saw some photos of him at NFL Honors tonight too. Mm. Um, just so happy for him and his family. And really, the way the league came together for those for those few days that that week, uh, where what mattered was Demar, what mattered was one of uh, you know one of their brothers, as opposed to getting on a field and and trying to win games. So yeah, so grateful that the care was there. Just one more thing about the union versus the league that I, I wanted to ask that I think is intriguing. How do you find leverage, or how do you uh, try to get the league to move on an issue when right now you're in a situation where there's not a new CBA on the table? Every issue is different um, and unique. I think in general terms, we'll start with the, the job of the union and the purpose of the union. The strength of any union is the willingness of membership to stand united on an issue they care about. Finding what those issues are and then figuring out what players are willing to do to create the change create the leverage uh, to make the change is, is what our job is. We could talk for, for hours on, on this issue, um, but getting players to realize the power they have and, and the power to create change themselves is part of our job as a union and as union leadership. And uh, we have a incredible executive committee that has a ton of experience. And our job is to lead and be what we deem ourselves as kind of the old wise men of the union who have seen a lot and been involved in, in labor fights and labor disputes and explain to younger players and new board members of this is how we gain leverage. These are things we can do to gain leverage and then present them issues to see what are the issues that guys care most about that are they're willing to fight about and mm -hmm. willing to stand united in solidarity over. That's kind of our job as union leadership is to find those issues present options, and then get guys on board with making changes. Mm, I do not envy you. Uh, I'm a little bit too emotional for that type of thing. So, <laughs> I, I, yes, I'm impressed, JC. Something fun before I let you go. The NFLPA has come up with a inaugural players all-pro team, players voting to come up with their own list of, of all pros. Why was this something that you wanted to do this year? There's no greater acknowledgement than understanding, you know, the, the respect you have from your own peers. And uh, there really hasn't been some, an, an award that uh, was voted on purely by the players 
for the players. And I know people will say the NFL top 100, but you know, the players don't take it serious and the voting <laughs> system, the way they roll it out doesn't make any sense. And you're, you're asked to compare quarterbacks to centers and there's no way to do that. And it just doesn't work. So creating kind of a system and a voting system and positions that make the most sense, the way players interpret it, and then putting the rules in place to really promote who was the best this year. And, um, you know, we, we wanted to kind of see how it would go this year, and we were blown away. We had a ton of votes. We had players very much caring who was going to win. We had we had players reaching out and wanting to know, you know, early results and, and wanting to know where they were on the list, and we recently released the top five <laughs> um, so players could, could realize just how close they were um, to getting those those first-team All-Pros. And we're going to continue to build this into the future because we had such great comments and results from, from players across the league. But it is the guys that watch film all week long and go out there and battle in, in the trenches and on the field against everybody, having them single guys out and be like, that that's by far the best player in the league at, at that position, I think means a lot to those players that get that recognition. Great. I always find it really amusing when you hear guys talking about their own fantasy football teams and who they draft <laughs> in their own fantasy football teams. I got this guy. He's on my team. It's a sign of respect, right? But it's also funny that they're playing the same thing that a lot of the rest of us are playing. <laughs> Absolutely. So you can find J.C. Treader on Twitter at J.C.T.R.E.T.T.E.R. Recently retired from the NFL after eight years as an offensive lineman, now serving or still serving as the NFLPA president. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. I appreciate a few minutes. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I got to say, that conversation with J.C., well worth the wait. I've wanted to have him on the show for a few years, and we just weren't sure how to get it done. We tried various angles and couldn't seem to get a beat on him. Uh, and this week, it worked out going through the NFLPA. And to hear a little bit about what happens behind the scenes and about the negotiations and the the fact that they've got to prioritize, right, but also what went into the discussion around health and safety and concussion protocols when Tua uh, was hurt on national TV and we all saw it. Really good stuff. And, of course, a member of the Browns for five years. He saw the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Uh, so great to connect with J.C. right after his former teammate becomes a first ballot Hall of Famer. All of our conversations here this week, and we've had some amazing convos, some good back and forth available on our podcast, and the link is up every weekday morning whole show in its entirety, but interviews are podcasted separately on both our Twitter, After Hours CBS, as well as our Facebook page. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. You're listening to After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Hey, Amy, thank you for taking my call. First time caller, long time listener. Awesome. Hey, how you guys doing tonight? Good. Always enjoy your show. Hey, Amy, I love your show. Thank you, Kevin. All right, thank you. <laughs> hey, Amy, first time caller. Love, love, love your show. You get thank my you. morning started off every day on my way to work. Awesome. Hi, Amy. I've been listening to you for the last five years. Awesome. Off and on, you know, and every time I listen to your show, you're sharp, you're prepared, you're ready to go. Thank you. Call Amy at 855-212-4CBS.
responses to our question of your must-have Super Bowl super snacks, baby. Let's see. Some of your replies on Twitter, A-Law Radio, nachos and or chili both do the trick. Now, see, I will definitely have chili, but I don't think I could have nachos and chili. I'm not sure I could do both, but they both sound delicious. Uh, He's going to do both. Let's see. Another tweet, Doritos. You certainly had the power of suggestion during the Super Bowl because we always have some good Doritos ads. In our video uh, for Ask Amy Anything, Jay was asking me about my top Super Bowl commercials, and one of the campaigns I mentioned is Doritos. They always have some kind of crazy flair and generally some recognizable stars as well, some celebrities. Uh, And then George on Twitter replies with Crunchy Cheetos. My mother does love Cheetos. So those are some of the Twitter responses. Let's see what we've got on our Facebook page. Again, you can find the post. It really is the power of suggestion with all the food there, and it's moving. It's it's dancing uh, as you get ready for Super Bowl Sunday. Jamie says double-layer nachos. Curtis goes with a seven-layer dip. Paul has got a smorgasbord, wings, sliders, and pizza. Uh, Bob goes with boneless wings with different sauces, then an antipasto salad and fruit salad and brownies. That's a spread. Uh, It must be a big group. Alan goes with diced tomatoes and onions, taco seasoning and ground beef. You put it on pita bread or biscuits with melted cheese. And uh, let's see, whatever cheese you like is fine. But he says cheddar or Chihuahua Jack. Chihuahua Jack? I've never heard of that. I've heard of Monterey Jack. I've never heard of Chihuahua Jack. Anyway, you you serve it with condiments, he says. Uh, let's see. David goes with cheesecake. I've never heard that before, but you know what? If you like cheesecake, it's your day to indulge. Wayne, peel and eat shrimp and cocktail sauce. Shrimp goes with any meal. Uh, Mark on Facebook, Mexican lasagna, corn tortillas, taco-flavored hamburger, enchilada sauce, and lots of Mexican cheese mix. Sandy says, nachos, please. And then Gregory I like the simplicity of chips and salsa. I know it's boring. Nah, chips and salsa are perfection. Marco Belletti's here in studio. What do you do for Super Bowl Sunday? You know, uh, it's a great question. You're not working. This is the first one I'm not working since 2011, so I don't nice. really know. I haven't talked to, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the spread's going to be yet uh, at the Belletti household. I'm, I'm curious to see what it is going to be for myself. But uh, Rem- Remind me how old your son? Seven? Eight. Eight now. So is he into football? Nah, not really. He watched okay. well. He watched some of it last year. I was working from home last year, so he watched it kind of hanging out a little bit. So that's pretty much the only sport that I think I've he's watched more than five minutes of. <laughs> All right, so food then. You need the food to make sure yeah, it's entertaining. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I think he'll he'll sit there with me, but yeah, if he's got more food in front of him, I'm sure he'll be uh, <laughs> maybe a little bit better. That's, a few cheeseburgers together. That, that's yeah. your son, to be sure. Uh, so do, do you have a favorite Super Bowl super snack? Uh, again, it's been so long. It's been over a decade. No, I don't remember. So now anything. Any, you put something in front of me, I'm going to eat it. I'm a fat guy. Um, I Probably Stop the first that. thing that I would it's probably radio. look for. Nobody would ever, ever think that about you, but you say it every single time Ooh, we talk about food. Gotta, you don't need keep, to. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm aware, but you got to keep it real. Uh, I think oh, pizza Lord. would probably be the first thing that we got to make sure that we have in the house. Okay. Uh, it's probably easiest to eat and mm-hmm. probably the, the thing that, Again, for the little kids, you know, especially my daughter, too. There's only two. Yeah, she'll eat pizza. So National Pizza Day was Thursday. I didn't know that. Uh, I don't know why you wouldn't make it Super Bowl Sunday, but maybe the date itself doesn't change. So Thursday was National Pizza Day. I did not have pizza. But get this. On any given day of the calendar, any given day, 13% of Americans eat pizza. 
on any given day. That's it? That's a lot of us. I feel like that's not enough. No? On any day. Just some random Tuesday in the middle of March. 13% of Americans are eating pizza. When you start adding in lunch and breakfast, yeah, I can see it being more. Yeah, there's a lot of leftover pizza for breakfast in the morning, yeah. Get this. Roughly one in eight Americans eat pizza on any given day. So pizza is going to be consumed in massive quantities on Super Bowl Sunday. That we know. Uh, In 2022, an estimated 12.5 million pizzas were sold on Super Bowl Sunday, according to the American Pizza Community Organization. (laughs) These are not plugs or anything. I'm just giving you the deets. Domino's sells 11 million slices. Pizza Hut in 2021, 1.4 million pizzas on that day. Domino's has slices? I'm unaware of that. Yeah. I guess they count them by slices. Uh-huh. Anyway, pretty uh, pretty funny. And as we go forward, they actually, there's an organization, according to Google search data, that compiled the most popular toppings by state. Now, I won't go through all 50 because that's a lot. Um, but you'd be surprised. They almost break up by geography, which is kind of funny. And no, pineapple is not one of the top toppings. That sounds odd. Not one of the most popular toppings across the country. It is not. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, that doesn't surprise me necessarily. I just I, not I, even one state went with pineapple as its number yeah, one. I mean, topic. I would imagine pepperoni is probably the most, and there's you know sausage or right, but pepperoni in in different parts of the country is what I'm saying. That's the part that's really crazy across the southern tier of the United States. Yes, pepperoni, but n- north, actually Midwest and the upper Midwest. It's mushrooms, okay. which I love. Mushrooms is my okay. favorite pizza topping. I love mushrooms. And in, in the state of Pennsylvania, it's mushrooms. In the state of New York, no, that's Massachusetts. Sorry, Greek is in the state of Massachusetts, which is funny. White pizza. According to this survey, white pizza is the most popular one in the state of New York. Not New York City, but the state of New York, which is the cheese and the... That's surprising. Yeah, that is. I didn't. I didn't get that. That's crazy. That's a little surprising. There's a bunch of states that prefer barbecue chicken as their top. Okay. Yeah, I, their I don't top, know if the top, but okay, yeah, I could see it. Like I said, I would think the, the ones that, are, that jump out to me automatically is pepperoni, sausage, mm. and mushrooms. Those are the three that seems like whenever you're with a giant group, those are the ones everybody kind of uh, settles in on. And then you get the you know peppers and whatnot. Can you guess? There's only one state in the entire union in which... Bacon is among the most popular toppings. Only one state. No, I wouldn't know which state. This is, this is, I don't know why there's a connection, but this is crazy. Yeah, you're just guessing. Alaska. I was going to guess that. I really was. Of course you were. Jay always says that. He likes to pretend like he's clairvoyant. And every time I give him an answer, he always says, oh, I was just going to say that. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing how that happens. Uh, Jay, what about you? What are you guys going to eat for Super Bowl Sunday? We have ordered the wings already. So the wings are in place. Uh, 40 wings from a local place that has good wings. Uh, probably some pizza, too, is going to be in there. But see, if there's four of you, that means you only get 10 wings. You can eat more than 10 wings. That, I could house probably 20 wings I think 10 well, if I was hungry. Uh, 10 is pretty good if you got a more of a spread. I mean, if that's your whole meal, yeah, sure. But yeah, you're if you're going to eat a whole bunch of stuff, that yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, probably even a little less than that, probably. Yeah, tens tens a good amount. We got some pizzas. We got probably some burgers, some sliders pizzas. going on there. Yeah. Oh, okay. None of this you're making, correct? 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, if I need help, I'm probably just going to buy most of it and order it and not work on Super Bowl Sunday. Well, I guess actually we are, but for the food. Yeah, I was going to say, that's news to me. I'm pretty wow. sure you are working on Super Bowl Sunday. And Jay just reminded me of something, though. You put the order in now already? Wow. I got I to gotta well, really start getting on top of stuff. run out of stuff. I got to get on top of things, you huh? You do. I, I can't just order stuff order. at like 4 o'clock on Sunday? Yes, yeah, see, I no? don't order. I like to cook. <laughs> so I'm making a chili. And are you ready for my fun s- snack that no one has mentioned? Kielbasa. In chili sauce and grape jelly in the crock pot, it makes this amazing sweet and sour sauce. And the kielbasa soak in it for a couple of hours in the crock pot. <gasps> I'd give it a shot. I'll bring some. Oh, wait. I won't see you. That That's right. But I'll maybe bring you some leftovers on Monday because it's definitely worth trying. Kielbasa is a nice Polish uh, food. My family, my dad's side of the family would be so proud. Grammy Helen would be so proud. So the idea of cooking though that day, the hell with that. No, uh, that's it's not crock happening. pot. It's, no, I'm not it's doing super that. easy. Well, see, I like my food better than I like what most other people make. I'm also going to make cookies, which by the way is top five on Super Bowl Sunday according to Google searches and the polls. Cookies, of course. All right. All right, you no, eat cookies no, no, too. No, because now I'm thinking that maybe now I got to get that too. I got to start making cookies that night. Like I don't want to. You're do not going to make stuff. them. Well, I could. Why not? Could you? Fun. I like that. We should have a bake-off sometime. No. Oh. No. <laughs> Need no. some competition. My very first uh, couple of years here, the Tom Tom, Tom, and and I did a chili cook-off because he was sure that his chili was better. Nope. Ultimately, mine was chosen as the this is tastier D-Bang. chili. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's a good cook, though. I will say that. He's a really good cook. Uh, All right, here we go. We are going to get to our break. Uh, Coming up next, a little more from Darvin Ham, the Lakers, as they make a bunch of changes to their roster. Uh, And also Jacques Vaughn on coaching Kevin Durant. Uh, LeBron James did not play on Thursday night as the Lakers face the Bucks, but he did address the crowd. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Give it to LeBron at the right elbow. LeBron, one-on-one against Kenrick Williams. Backing him in. Turns. Shoots. Scores! There it is! All hail the new king in town! Young and old, gather round from one iconic Laker to another. The king, LeBron James, has passed the captain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and LeBron now stands alone as the NBA's all-time leading scorer. This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Earlier this week, LeBron James ascending that sacred mountain, NBA's all-time leading scorer. We know that it was a house full of celebrities at Crypto.com Arena in L.A. on Tuesday. He did not play on Thursday, but it was a bit of a party, a pregame ceremony, and LeBron once again with the mic in a special speech to the fans there inside the arena. I had dreams of being able one day to be able to throw no-look passes like Magic Johnson. Um, To be able to... (laughs) To be able to shoot fadeaways like Michael Jordan, to be able to, you know, have a crossover like Allen Iverson, to be able to have a, a afro and jump, you know, in a in a dunk contest like Kobe Bryant. You know, I, I looked up to so many athletes and so many people along my journey, and they gave me the inspiration and they allowed my dreams to not die. 
I saw a photo of you, and I've, you know, I've seen a lot of photos of you. There's one photo of you that sticks out in my mind. And it was, I think you were in high school, and you had seen Michael Jordan play. And you were in the tunnel. And Michael Jordan was walking by. I don't think he stopped, but I saw your eyes. And I saw you looking at Michael Jordan, and I could see in your eyes at that moment that your journey had began and you wanted to be where you're standing right now. A worthy tribute from James Worthy, also part of that pregame ceremony. And then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, once again, reflecting on this moment and and also offering some details that I didn't realize from when he took over as the all-time scoring leader going back nearly 40 years ago. The uh, week has been, uh, at times, too much, you know, all of the things that uh, were happening. But I'm very glad that I, I was able to be there when it happened. You know, Wilt wasn't able to be in Las Vegas when I broke his record. And uh, to me, I feel like uh, I did it the right way and made sure that uh, LeBron knew that I I supported what he was doing and that uh, this is uh, something very special and uh, happy to help him celebrate it. So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I agree, doing the right thing, wanted to be part of it, felt like it was important for him to pass the basketball and pass the proverbial torch on to LeBron James. And there were some really cool photos taken between the two of them representing the past, a different generation, and the future. And oh heavens, if for no other reason, I'm glad it's done now uh, because it's been three or four days of the conversation about the greatest, which is really irrelevant here unless you just enjoy the debate. You may or may not think that LeBron is the greatest, but what he is... He's the NBA's scoring champion, and that does not change. Somebody tried to tell me it's not legitimate because LeBron shot three-pointers. Okay. (laughs) Some of you guys go to great lengths to try to delegitimize. Is that a word? (laughs) Delegitimize. Pull the rug out from under any accomplishment. It's After Hours here on CBS Sports Radio. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, Darvin Ham, head coach of the Lakers, just saw his roster change in a, a real drastic way the last couple of days. No more Russell Westbrook. Now it's D'Angelo Russell, Mo Bamba, a, a bunch of other pieces that they brought in to help them surge forward. All of those guys bring unique skill sets, skill sets that we need, you know, shooting, uh, playmaking, um, energy, defense, rebounding, uh, a lot of needs, uh, you know, they'll be able to address uh, along with the guys that are still remaining. The Lakers did not win on Thursday night. Again, no LeBron. So the Bucks beat them. Ninth consecutive win, by the way, for Milwaukee. Giannis goes for 38 as well as 10 rebounds. Um, the, the attention, a lot of it on Thursday around the trade deadline. And, of course, Darvin Ham and the Lakers traded away Russell Westbrook. Like any other player, you know, there were good moments and not so good moments in terms of getting stuff done on the floor. But make no mistake about it, you know, I have nothing but the utmost respect for him as a professional and everything he's accomplished in this league. And I'll just leave it there. Anything else is pretty much irrelevant at this point. 
That is probably the easiest way to approach it. Good times, bad times. It doesn't matter anymore, does it? So Russ is gone. Patrick Beverly is gone. Thomas Bryant is gone. He went to Denver, the leader in the West. Juan Toscano-Anderson and Damian Jones, all gone. The Lakers bring in D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, Mo Bamba, and then Devon Reed. Uh, So these are... Mix and match, right? Uh, it, we had 28 teams in the NBA make deals. Not all of them bringing in new players. Some are getting rid of salary. Some are uh, attempting to get rid of expiring contracts. So there's a lot of that happening too. Uh, but you're looking at some teams who have made real drastic changes, vast moves to try to increase and improve their position in what is a very crowded field right now. It's After Hours with Amy Lawrence, CBS Sports Radio.